blessing to you. Today's message, take your outlines if you would and, and, and uh, or turn with me in some scripture that we're going to be looking at in, in Ephesians chapter 5, um, verse 15 through 17. And uh, today we're going to be talking about live like those who are wise. Now, live like those who are wise. Uh, some of, you know, I, I've given this illustration before, but I want to uh, re-give it again. It's been a few years since I've used it, but listen up. One day, a, a farmer's donkey fell into a well. The animal cried pitifully for hours as the farmer tried to figure out what to do. And finally, he decided the animal was old and the well needed to be covered up anyway, so it just wasn't worth it to try and retrieve the donkey. So he invited all of his neighbors to come over and help him, and they all grabbed shovels and began to shovel dirt into the well. When the donkey experienced the sense of being buried alive by the dirt, he cried horribly. Then to everyone's amazement, he quietened down. A few shovels loads later, the farmer finally looked down the well and was astonished at what he saw. When every shovel of dirt that hit the donkey's back, the donkey was doing something amazing. He shook it off and took a step up. And as the farmer's neighbors continued to shovel dirt on top of the animal, he would shake it off and take a step up. And pretty soon, everyone was amazed as the donkey stepped over the edge of the well and trod it off. How many of you know, you know the feeling too, the sense of being buried, not knowing what to do, and the dirt, the trials of life that are dumped on your life. Come on, somebody. And daily, there seems to be shovel loads of dirt being dumped on us, and, and children challenging your authority, sickness touching our loved ones, our job-related difficulties surfacing at work. Life is going to continue to shovel dirt on you all the time. Come on, somebody. And it's going to happen to the day you die. You're going to feel sometimes that dirt's been shoveled on you. So the trick is getting out of the well is wisdom. That is, with God's help, to know how to shake it off and to take a step up. Come on, somebody. Oh, you need, you and I, I should say, need to shake it off and walk out. Come on, somebody. So just shake it off and walk out. Come on, somebody. And that's what we need to do. Everybody do this this morning. You know, you, there's some things that, 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 that the, the devil's going to put on you. There's things the world's going to put on you. There's things that people will put on you. And what you need to do, come on, somebody, is to shake it off and walk out. So let's look at some scripture that relates to that this morning. In Ephesians 5.15, it says, So be careful how you live. Now, Paul is writing to the church, and the church at Ephesus is one of the strongest uh, healthiest churches that in Asia at that time. Matter of fact, John the Revelator wrote the book of Revelations and the book of John went to that church. The mother of Jesus went to that church. It was a powerful church, but he said this to that church, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Now, I saw something on Facebook. I, I don't have a Facebook page, but my wife does, and I'm always on there. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I like looking at the pictures and catching up on things, you know. And it showed this guy that had this fence. Some of you probably saw that. Had this fence, and the fence had just bars going down, all the way down. And he was taking and shoveling water and throwing it back over the fence. 
And the water was just coming back in. And he just kept doing that and doing that and doing that. And I'm thinking, what in the world? Why would someone do that? How many of you know that's not wise? I mean, it's like that is, you know. So it says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. It says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Did you hear me this morning? So what does the Lord want us to do? What does God want us to do? And in Romans 13, 11, it says, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of your sleep. Now, my mother used to say to me, boy, it's high time you do this or that. Come on, somebody. Now, I didn't know what high time was, but I know it's time for me to do what I needed to do. I didn't understand the Greek word for high time, but I know what I needed to do at that time. The Phillips translation says the present time is the highest importance. It is is the time to wake up to reality. Ephesians, or I should say Ecclesiastes rather, 3.1 says to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heavens. And this morning I want us to think about time and I want us to think about wisdom and wise being wise and redeeming the time and how God is wanting to work in our lives in these last days. Now, as believers in Christ, we all have a calling upon our lives, and I believe we all have a purpose. I don't, I don't, you know, we're here for a reason. Can I get a witness on that? We're here for a reason. So if that wasn't so, you know, God could have just took you on to heaven when he saved you. Can I get a witness? But we have a purpose. He's not going to take you one day sooner before the purpose that you have. You're living out your purpose, and you're living out what God wants you to live out on planet Earth. Before we go any further, bow your heads with me. Father, I thank you for each and every one that are here today. And I pray that we would have ears to hear what the Word of God is saying to us. And Lord, not just physical ears, but ears, uh, uh, spiritual ears, to hear what God's will and way for our lives are, oh God. And help us this morning, Lord, as we as we're looking at your word and looking at your ways, help us to walk in them, we pray, and be wise. And we ask this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Now, as believers, you know, as believers, if I am to be wise, if I am to redeem the time, God has given me, there's some things I need to do. So go to the next slide. Number one, I must pay close attention how I conduct myself. I got I to gotta pay close attention to how I conduct myself. Now, the scripture says, so be careful how you live. Now, you know, you need, we need to take that as, as face value. Now, the words that the apostle Paul used here are words meaning to walk or to live calculated, to walk or to live thoughtfully. And we got to think about what we're doing. So how can I walk or live calculated or thoughtful and, and wise in the days that we're in? First, I can't be flippantly about who I am in Christ and what God wants me to do. I can't flippantly live like that, but I got to do what he wants me to do. So if I do that, I should pay attention to how I live my life and how I conduct myself, not only, you know, to others and and to God and and, and my purpose of life. So especially if I want to please God. How many of you want to please God? Let me see your hands. So this is the first thing you want to do. And the second one is up there as well. It says, I must discern what is right and act upon it. I've got to discern what is right, and then I've got to act upon it. It's not enough to know it, 
but I've got to do it. I've got to discern it, and then I've got to act upon it. I've got to do it. So the scripture says here, don't live like fools. Now, this guy that was shoveling the water, <laughs> you know, over this fence that was coming down that had holes. I mean, it was like, what was the purpose of that? There's no purpose in what he was doing whatsoever. It's like, what are you doing? Do you know what you're doing? How many of you would agree there's some people who don't know what they're doing? And spiritually, I believe there's some Christians that don't know what they're doing. They don't know what, where God wants them to be. And I believe God, it's very plain if we would be sensitive to the Spirit, God can show us and show us that easily. But don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Everybody say wise. I like that, okay? So some people think that knowledge and wisdom are the same thing, but folks, they're not. Knowledge and wisdom are so different. Can I get a witness? Now, knowledge is just transactional information. Now, folks, I'll tell you, we're living in the informational age. How many of you know at our fingertips we have so much information to us today? Somebody say amen. But we, we see a lot of people having problems all over the place. And still, I mean, the knowledge is there, but we're still having the problem. So what is the problem? Well, you know, wh wh where does this go to? So it's just information. Knowledge is just information that we share back and forth. And then that's it. That's the beginning and that's the end. You know, it is there. It's the beginning. The end. It, it, it's information. You, you have information. But folks, that's the beginning and the end of it. But wisdom is transactional action. Action that is calculated for wisdom. And that's what we really need. Folks, what there is a need of today in the church and in our lives is wisdom. Somebody say amen. There's things that we need to know how to act upon that and when to act upon that, when to move, when not to move, what to do, and it has to do with wisdom in our lives, okay? So you can know something, but if you don't put it in the, it, into practice, what good is it? It's nothing more than knowledge not used, and we have knowledge stored up everywhere. You can get on your computer, you can get on your iPhone. And, and you can Google it, and there's just about anything you will know you can find out about. Well, that's having information, but folks, that's not enough. You've got to have more than information. We use our good judgment and our experiences and our knowledge to make right choices, but we have to put knowledge into practice. Come on, somebody. That knowledge that we have has to be put into practice. There has to be action behind the knowledge or it's no good. Knowledge says that the speed limit is 65 miles an hour, but wisdom says if I go over that, I get a ticket. How many of you know most people know what the speed limit is? It's what we're doing in the midst of that. How many's ever been going down the road and just driving and look down and going 90 in the 65? Whoa. And you might say, well, I didn't mean to do that. How many of you, that, that, that doesn't cut it with the guy that's got the lights? He doesn't say, well, sorry. Oh, you didn't see? Okay, well, we let you out of that. No. He collects the little green stamps. Dollar bills. Come on, somebody. I know the speed limit, but I'm wise when I actually put knowledge into action and do the right speed come on somebody you know and that's what we need to talk about number three go to the next slide i must steward my time with great caution and intentionality been intentional very intentional there's a you know, there's a very interesting phrase here paul says make the most of our opportunities and it refers to getting back 
to by the means of paying a ransom. Paying a ransom. Think about that. Meaning there's something someone else has, but for me to have it, I must pay the ransom to get it. Now, I want you to think about that thought. For whatever thing you're involved in, whatever action that you do, whatever activities that you're a part of, there's a ransom that you must pay for those activities. And that ransom is your time. How many of you know a lot of times it will cost you your time to get involved in that? So God does, you know, you know and I'm, I'm a firm believer, we don't just don't tithe our money. We need to tithe our time to God too. Come on, somebody. We need to give him our time. You know, we need to give him our time. And if we're doing that, it's a wise thing. So time is the greatest resource God has given us. It's the greatest commodity that we have because you can't manufacture it. It's a gift from God. You can't duplicate it, and you can't manufacture it. Come on, somebody. You can't steal it. It is what it is. It's here, and then it's gone, and then it's no more. You know that song in the 60s, time is on my side. Yes, it is. Anybody hear that? Some of you hippies in here hear that. (laughs) Time is on my side. No, it's not. I got news for you. It's not. It's not on your side. No, it's not. It's here today, and it's gone tomorrow. Can I get a witness? So we must pay close attention to how we conduct our lives and discern what's right and then act upon it and steward our time with great caution and be very intentional about it. Can I get a witness? Are you following me this morning? Number four, I've got it up there for you. Recognize what's really important and respond accordingly. Recognize what's really important and respond accordingly. And the scripture says, don't act thoughtlessly. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. Now, a thoughtless life is careless. It's uh, inattentive. It's just random living. You know, que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. Well, folks, I don't believe that. Come on, somebody. I believe God has a purpose. I believe God has a purpose for my life. I believe that there's things that God wants me to do, and I want to be sensitive to that. How many of you want to be sensitive to God's will? You know, you have a will. God has a will, Satan has a will, and we need to get our will with God's will. Come on, somebody. This world has a will and a way, too, try to get us, and it's the same as the enemies. But God's will and way is so much different. God's, uh, you know, it's it's higher than our ways. But a thoughtful life is careful, it's accurate, it's attentive, attentive, it's intentional. And we have this great danger on our journey of trying to make the most of our time and the opportunity. And as we do, we grow in wisdom. There is a problem. There is a problem. There is this, our personal missional drift. Missional drift. What is that all about? See, I believe that, uh, how, many's ever, how many of you remember the, uh, uh, the TV series and the movie now, Mission Impossible? Dun, 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 dun. How many? Yeah? Yeah? Your mission, Jim, if you care to accept it. I can hear God saying to some of it, your mission, Dan, if you care to accept it. How many of you know we don't have to accept it? I mean, God has a will for you, but you may not be in the center of his will this morning. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching better than you're saying amen. I mean, you, you know, God has a will. And God has a mission. 
for you. And each one of us have a calling. We have a mission. God has called us to do. First of all, if you're, if you're saved and you have a family, your, your first mission is to God. And your second mission is to your family. Can I get a witness? Amen. And we need to be stewards. And, and we need to be uh, men. We need to take our responsibility as a head of the house and, and, and joint partners with our, our spouses. And we need to lead, and our children. You know, we, we, we're the ones that God put in charge of them. And, and let me tell you something. You can help or hurt them. Come on, somebody. And, and uh, you know, God's put that in your hands. So missional drift. I want to talk about that a little bit. A drift is when you unconsciously move just very slightly off of your course. Very slightly, but, you know, you can just move off course. You can move off course. So slightly that you probably don't even realize that it's happening. And that's what's happening in some people's life in the missional drift. And, and God wants them to do a certain thing. Or God's given them a talent. And God's given them something that they can contribute to mankind and tr contribute to this world. And, and they get involved in other things. Can I get a witness? The difficulty here is because we don't really see that it's happening. So we don't feel these effects immediately. And by the time that we realize what's happening, we're far from where we need to be. I've given you an illustration before out fishing, and I, you know, didn't have a, uh, an anchor, you know. And, and I, I found a good fishing spot, and boy, I'm catching fish, and I'm just enjoying it. And all of a sudden, they quit biting. And I turned around and thought, whoa, where am I at? I'm about, a, I'm, I'm about 100 yards from where I was supposed to be. Yeah, they were biting, but I, <laughs> I'm, I'm fishing in the wrong hole. Come on, somebody. In the wrong place. I drifted. I had a mission drift. From I'm trying to catch fish, but I, I drifted away. And that's what's happening to some of us. Can I get a witness? Amen. So we intentionally, uh, and, and sometimes unintentionally, we, we drift away. So personal drift is a real problem when we're trying to live out that verse and to make the most of the opportunities that God has given us. And, and so it's a missional drift. Missional drift is when we as a body of a Christ forget why, why we actually exist. Why are we here? Why, why is the church here? Why are we here? What, you know, and, and why do we come to church? Is it to get something or give something? It's a little of both. It really is. But sometimes we, you know, if you're just coming to get something, how many of you know that's missional drift? Because you're not only coming to get something, you're coming to give something in your worship. Come on, somebody. We worship God. We, we, we give to God. We give of our talents. And maybe God uses us in a, you know, whether we're an usher or a teacher or, or, or one of our gifts that we have that we give to the body. You know, we're, we, we are exercising that. And that, that, that's mission accomplished. And we're, the mission is being accomplished. So... It's very easy for us as human beings, because of our human nature, to think that it's about us. And folks, it's not about us, it's about Him. Amen. It's easy to care, you know, care more about our preference than the big picture of what God has called us to do. So let me just say something. Go to the next slide. Say something about our, our, our mission. And we've talked about it before. The Great Commandment and the Great Commission. And the great commandment comes before the great commission. And the great uh, commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Help me out and love your neighbor. 
neighbor as your if you do that you don't have to worry about breaking any other commandments if you can do that you're good can I get a witness what Jesus said those two commandments be those you're fine because let me tell you something if I love my neighbor I'm not going to steal from my neighbor if I'm not if I love my neighbor I'm not going to covet after my neighbor come on somebody and then the mission is the great commission is to go and make disciples and it's not enough to get people saved at an altar. That's only half of it. Come on, somebody. Yeah, people need to make commitments, but Jesus said, go and make disciples. And the disciple is, they've got to, you know, they, you know, once they come to the Lord, they need to know who they are in Christ, which we're doing on Wednesday night. Who are you? You know, who they are, and we, we find out who we are. And we begin to be disciples and we grow in the things of God. Are you hearing me this morning? The Bible says, understanding what the Lord wants you to do. And what is that? You know, what does God want us to do? He wants us to become like him. And this is our journey. It's a process of us becoming spiritually healthy and wise. And this is the way that we do this. Ephesians 4.15 says, growing in every way, not in a few ways, but growing in every way. How many of you know it's God's will for us to grow? Somebody say amen. amen. If you're the same place you were last year or 10 years ago, folks, there's a problem. Dayton, we have a problem. Come on, somebody. <laughs> we have a problem. Growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. How? Through our discipleship program here, we can say the 101, 201, 301, Instay, that's our Bible college courses, and, and, and Wednesday night small groups and, and different times, and, and, and what I'm doing right here in helping you and giving you little nuggets of truth here and there that can help you grow and become the person God wants you to be. Somebody say amen. It is our quest to live like those who are wise and make the most of our opportunities and our time and our wisdom. The enemy attacks us because he does not want you knowing God's purpose for your life. Number one, the knowledge of knowing, that's half of it. But once you know it, that's a good, that's a good part of it. And then you, you got knowledge, put some wisdom behind that, you begin to do Take that knowledge and do something with it. Put action behind it. Come on, somebody. Put, put feet to that. And then you become what God wants you to be. And you become a powerhouse for God. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. Three ways the enemy attacks. He attacks us by using missional drift. Why? To get us off our game or to sidetrack us. Go to the next slide there. So the first attack of the enemy is guilt. Is there, anybody here felt guilty about something? Well, let me just say this. Guilt is not from God. You say, no, Pastor, don't, don't the Lord want us to be guilty about things? No, never. Guilt is not from God. Now, there is something called your conscience. There is something that, that conviction. I mean, that's different. Come on, somebody. But guilt is from the enemy, okay? The enemy will infuse guilt into us. Guilt 
for the things of your past. Guilt uh, for the things that maybe you haven't done or should have done, and, and now you feel guilty about it. Come on, somebody. Well, that's not from God. God don't want you to feel guilty about something. That's, not, that's the enemy. That's what the enemy tries to do. See, you're not what God says you're going to be. You confess in this, and you're not doing that. God never does that. The enemy will, but God never does that. Look at the scripture, 2 Corinthians 7.10. It says, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, notice this, results in spiritual death. Notice this. It says worldly sorrow. The earlier part of the verse talks about godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is what we call conviction. Come on, somebody. So the worldly sorrow or guilt that's from the world. That's from the enemy. That, you know, the feeling bad. And you know, God, you know, God's not in the business of making you feel bad. Now, he will convict you. Yes. The Holy Spirit will let you know when something's not wrong. You will know inside, that's, you know, that's, that, that's not right to do that. But let me tell you something. He's not going to make you feel guilty. He doesn't condemn. There's no condemnation to them there in Christ Jesus. Come on, somebody. That's what the Scripture says. There's no condemnation. Well, that doesn't God condemn you? No, no, that's the enemy. That's what he does. It's when the Holy Spirit prompts us when we're doing something wrong and the Holy Spirit says, uh-uh, that's not God's way. Stop that. And you can sense that in your, in, in your spirit. And God will, you know, he will give you a, a conviction. That's conviction because conviction leads to repentance. Come on, somebody. See, he wants you to, and, and repentance, what's repentance? It's a turnaround. If you're going this way and you repent, you, you, it's a turnaround. You start going the opposite direction. And that's what God wants in your life this morning. Come on, somebody. Mm, thank you. <laughs> oh, let's think about that. Conviction leads to repentance. We say, I'm sorry, Lord, I've sinned, forgive me. And you know what? It's done. How many of you know you don't have to beg God? You don't have to beg God. And you, you know, just do it God's way. The, the Word of God is so plain on that. We, we release things because of that godly sorrow. Conviction leads to repentance, which leads to freedom. And see, what God really wants is you to be free. He doesn't want something, you know, ensnared in something. And there are some people that, that, that they're in bondage to uh, drugs or alcohol or whatever it is, and it's taking you down a, a road that you don't want to go down. And God sees all of the health issues, and God sees all the problems and things like that. And, and what I'm talking about is, is, is those things that, that keep you in, anything that's got you in bondage is a sin. Come on, somebody. Yeah. I don't have to carry around that guilt from my past. I'm free from that. Somebody say amen. amen. How many of you would be honest, there's certain times that you're, you know, just feeling so great, and all of a sudden a thought flashes in your mind something that you did 20 years ago? Well, that's the devil. That's not God. That's not God. Conviction leads to repentance, which leads to freedom. I don't have to carry around that guilt of my past. I'm free of it. Somebody say amen. amen. God's repentance has freed me from that. Now, the enemy wants you to feel guilty. Why? 
He wants you to feel guilty about anything because worldly sorrow. Again, there's a godly sorrow and there's a worldly sorrow. And you need to know the difference. That worldly sorrow is just guilt. That's all it is, okay? It doesn't lead to repentance. It leads to bitterness. It leads to anger. It leads to frustration. It leads to depression. Come on, somebody. It leads to areas that you don't need to be going. You don't know, go down that road because that is not a road God wants you to be on. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God says, I come to give you life more abundantly. God wants you to be happy, joyful, fruitful. Come on, somebody. You and your family blessed and all those. That God has all those things in store for you. And someone says, Pastor, is, it, would it be wrong for me to do this or wrong for me to do that? You know, the Bible says work out your own salvation. You know, you can grow in the Lord and God can show you. You've got, you, you know what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Come on, somebody. And I believe there's just a certain step where it's like, whoa, I went too far that way. And, and the only thing I want to say about anything like that, and we talk about drugs, how many of you know there's prescription drugs too? What, what I am saying is this, something that controls you. Now, for, for instance, uh, there's some drugs that are good. I mean, if you have high blood pressure, you need to deep take in your medicine. I prayed for a lady once. And her husband called me a day or two later and said, hey, my, my wife is having some problems. You, you need to help us. What's going on? Well, you prayed for her. She quit taking her medicine. <laughs> she did. Okay. So I talked to her. I said, hey, listen. Is it all right if I use you this oh, morning? Absolutely. All right. If I'm praying for you, for your eyes to be healed, if they're healed, you don't have to take these off. Because when you put them back on, you can't see out of them anymore. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Did you get that illustration? So, so no, 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 you don't have to take your medicine. I mean, you, you know, I mean, there's a, there might be a time that you say, hey, this is, I don't need this. So, so there's certain things, folks, we need to be wise about things. There's certain things God has given us that, that you know, it's like, Oh, you have a headache, you know, you know, I'm going to pray about that. that. That's great. But you know what? I, you can take an aspirin. Go ahead, somebody. I mean, it's pretty easy. It's right there. Now, if you don't want to, that's okay, too. But you know what? If you have a, a situation, there's nothing. What I'm saying is God has provided some of these things already for us. God's provided this for us. And Oral Roberts was is probably the, the, the guy that was more in the faith realm than anybody that I know, and he built a hospital. Come on, somebody. I mean, it's, you know, it's, so we got to use some wisdom. We got to use wisdom. We got to use knowledge. We got to have some understanding about things. And, and some people, it's like, whoa, that's not wise what you're doing there. We, we need to be wise. Come on, somebody. So the first attack of the enemy is guilt. He's going to try to put guilt on you. The enemy wants you to feel guilty, and if you're feeling guilty this morning, that's worldly sorrow. That's not from God. It's from the enemy, and you need to get rid of it. Amen. What do you do, Pastor? Shake it off and step out of it. Come on, somebody. Come on, do it again. Well, shake it off. Don't let this world bury you. Like that donkey was going to be buried. How many of you know some of us need to have the sense of a donkey? Come on, somebody. Yeah. 
Oh boy, we got, that's, that's, that's a sermon in itself. That's a jack donkey. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Some of you get that about 12 o'clock. The next attack is, mm, I like this one, distraction. Distraction is another tool that the enemy uses to come against our missional drift. Luke 21, 34 says, watch out. Don't let your heart be dulled. Notice this. And by drunkenness and by uh, worries of this life. Don't let that catch you unaware. Or you're carousing. And dull. You know, the enemy wants to get your minds and attention off the things of God. He wants us thinking about other things. The enemy wants you to get your eyes and attention on the things, uh, other things other than what God is saying. Come on, somebody. Look over here. Look over there. You know, don't, don't see the things God has for you. Our enemy is very crafty, and his goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants nothing uh, for your life but havoc. And he wants to distract you in any way that he can. How many of you know what distraction is? You get distracted. You know, sometimes the least little thing can distract us. Come on, somebody. My cat can be walking through the house, and I've got this little, I've got this little pointer, you know. And yeah, yeah, some of you know where I'm going, I'm going with this right now, yeah. Yeah. And my cat can be walking across the floor. I just, oh, I, got, I just have fun out my cat. And I'll go, ooh. Cat goes into attack mode. And it, <laughs> you know what? I believe the enemy does us that way. And you know, I can do this too. You know, let me show you. I can do this. I, I, I do. I go. She goes around and around and around and around. So many times, then she'll stop and go. <laughs> <laughs> I said all that to say this. Some of you do the same thing. The enemy has you run around in circles. He's laughing at you. And what you need to do is say, get thee behind me. Amen. Say, I'm not falling for your tricks. You hear me? Number three, the third attack is excuses. When God is stirring someone to take action, the excuses start to surface. Folks, they're going to surface, I'm telling you. And Jesus said in Luke 14, 17, Jesus is telling the story about a man who was throwing this massive party, and, and he invites his friends. He says, come to the banquet. It's ready, but, and they all begin to make excuses. How come you're not at the party? Well, I got all this stuff. Kids got soccer, practice, da-da-da-da-da. I got this, I got that. Come on, somebody. And, and excuses. Say the word Excuses. They all had excuses. The man decided, I've already got everything I need for the party. The party's going to happen. So he went out and started inviting anybody he could find to the party. And he tells his friends, and when he hears the music pumping and the fun going on, and don't come knocking then because the party, you know, you're not invited anymore. You can come now, you know. And Jesus gave this illustration. Again, opportunities are there, but they are only there for a short time. Come on, somebody. See, God will give you an opportunity, but that opportunity will pass. Sooner or later, it will pass. It's not going to always be there. 
you know, you could come back to it. I'm going to come back to it tomorrow. I won't do it. Well, maybe it's there. Maybe it's not. The enemy wants to push us toward excuses. Well, I can't do that. Like Moses. God was calling Moses to do things. First, out of Moses' mouth, God, I can't do this. I, I, I don't speak well. There's always a solution, and God will make a way. Somebody say amen. amen. God said, I made your mouth, Moses. I made the mouth. Amen. amen. So three ways to overcome missional drift. Number one, and these will go fast. When the enemy is trying to make you feel guilty, here's, what I can, here's how I can combat, combat it. Learn from your past without the past discouraging you. I've told you so, so many times that when you're driving down the road, you can look through the rearview mirror and you can see what's behind you. But folks, you don't drive down the road looking through the rearview Amen, mirror. That's right. It's only a perspective thing. You look up and you look back. You look up too long and you're going to have an accident. Hello? Amen. So look at Philippians 3.13. Paul talking to the church at Philippi there, and he says, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what it lies ahead. So if we're going to be successful in 2020, we can't be trying to relive 2019. Folks, it's over. I got news for you. 2019 is over. We're in a new year. You can't feel guilty about something you did. Don't feel guilty. That's from the devil anyway. What you need, don't make excuses. Come on, somebody. But get to the place where you allow God to use you. Don't get in the missional drift that takes you here or there, but begin to get in the will of God. Somebody say amen. amen. Your past serves you well when you learn from it, not when you dwell on it. Amen. Now, you can learn from it. You know, you can learn from it. Now, here, here's some of you who've had something happen way in the past. And the enemy sometimes bring it up. Let me tell you something. You can't change what happened to you in the past, but you can change the way you feel about it now. You can't change that situation, that event that happened, but you can change now how you deal with it. Come on, somebody. And that's what God wants you to do. As I've said earlier, the rearview mirror in your car, don't stare at it, but you just glance at it. Somebody say amen. All right, number two. Go to number two. Be aware of good things that distract you from the best things. Amen. Good word. Be aware of the good things that distract you from the best things. Now, I'm, I'm telling you folks, when you start walking with God, there are going to be some things that are good, but, you know, there are going to be things that are going to be better, and then you're going to think things that are the best. Amen. How many of you know the best is the best? <laughs> All right, look at uh, Hebrews 12.1. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. So there's the delineation there or the separation there in this verse. There's, a, there's two parts of that. First, the sin. Obviously, sin's bad. It's wrong. It ensnares us. But then he says, all the things that slow you down. So there might be something, it may not really be a sin, but it might be something that's just slowing you down. It might be something that's getting you off your game. Come on, somebody. And you're not doing what God wants you to do 100%. It's slowing you down. It's like a weight, you know. And when weights get on your back, again, what do we do? Shake them off. Shake them off. 
Do it. Let's do it again. Let's shake it off. Shake it off. Remember the, that's exactly what the donkey did that was in the well. Come on, somebody. He felt the weight. What did he do with the weight after a while? He's, he cried pitifully. Oh, they're burying me alive. And all of a sudden, he said, hey, I'm not taking this. I'm shaking this. I'm not taking it. I'm shaking it. And he began to shake it. And then he walked right out. Come on, somebody. Ooh. So there's weights. And we need to realize there's weights that we need to get rid of. I'm going to go right to the next one. Number three. Take decisive action. Look at James 1.22 says, But don't just listen to God's word. You must, help me out, do what it says. On the count of three, let's say it together. One, two, three. Do what it says. Say it again. Do what it says. That'll preach. So when I feel myself making excuses, I can't do it for this reason or that reason or in that moment, do I wait? No. I'm going to take decisive action. I'm going to schedule something. I'm going to schedule something. I'm going to do something. When you feel yourself making excuses, God's prompting you to do something, and he's trying to make you, you know, do something. And, and, and then on the other end, you're feeling guilty about that. You know, you, know you, you, don't, you don't feel guilty about things from God. We said that earlier. Guilt comes from the enemy. But what you feel is con- some conviction from God. He's presenting this to you, and he wants you to work it out. And sometimes that you may not know exactly how to do that, but God will show you how to do it. So when you feel the Lord's prompting you to do something and you start making excuses, catch yourself in that moment and take a decisive action. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do this. You know, you can say, like Moses said, Lord, I can't do that. I can't go to Pharaoh. And God says, well, who made your mouth? You know, well, Lord, who's going to, how will he know that? What's in your hand? Well, it's just a rod. Throw it on the ground. Throw it on the ground. What happened? It become a snake. And he said, pick it up. He went down and picks up the, the, the snake. It becomes a rod again. And he says, I want to go before you. How many of you know, I believe that same God can go before us today. Yeah. And whatever we need, he'll give it to us in that moment. Come on, somebody. Make a decisive action. And the reason that why that's important is we don't develop the pattern or the lifestyle of making excuses every time God wants you to do something that you initially want to do. We develop these patterns. Take decisive actions. Start to do something. You know what? I might not be able to do that, but I can do this. And you take a step in the right direction. Start taking decisive actions. Let me give you one last uh, scripture that's in your notes. And Moses wrote this in Psalms 90 and verse 12. He penned these words at the end of his life. He was recounting everything that God had done for him, all the miracles and the mistakes and all the things of the past. And here's what Moses said. Teach us to make the most of our time so that we may grow in wisdom. Everybody say grow in wisdom. So it's redeeming the time, growing in wisdom. And God has a plan for our lives. You see, it's not enough to merely count our days. We must make our days count. We'll make our days count. We'll make them count. Somebody say amen.